You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and Power Athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athlete's Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the games begin. Not just another episode. We got a very special episode. Uh, the episode. I mean, it's pretty special. It is. We have two guests in-house. This is the first time that we're doing this, and we're recording live, I, I suppose, before our Power Athlete Coach Collective. And two of our guest speakers are sitting down with us, so we welcome in person for the first time, Mr. Derek Woodsky and Mr. Rafael Ruiz. I feel like there should be like a crowd roar. I'm sure Antonio will pop, pop in. Pop that in for sure. Yeah, you'll yes. pop that in. <laughs> no, it's great, guys. Thank you so much for coming, and it's great that we could tack a podcast on the on the front side of this before you guys get a chance to come out and wow us with your teaching and your education, and just show a little bit of uh, what you guys do. That's so cool. Appreciated. I'm uh, glad to be here again this year, obviously. Um, it seems like the years go by a touch faster than they do previously. So it's nice to be back just to be able to actually have some hands-on coaching as well. You know, in the, uh, in the world we live in, it's almost like that tactile aspect of human performance for some of us, myself included, even though this year has been chaos with other stuff. Um, it's just nice to actually engage again with coaches, athletes. I mean, it's all kind of the same, right? So it's, uh, it's good to be back. Well, last year you were here, and we got a chance to do a little bit of uh, like rotational throwing. And so we had you out in the field with like a bunch of rocks and different implements. And uh, I was stuck up in the gym, and all people came in, and I was like, hey, fuck, uh, dude, this, this was amazing. It was fire. It was great. Everybody was fucking super excited. And I was like, great. I can't wait to watch the video. And then as I was going around, I realized we didn't video it. That was a massive fuck up on my part because I didn't allocate resources. And uh, it was like one of those things we sat down and we're like, oh, shit, dude. One of the coolest fucking things we had and we totally didn't have video on it. Fuck. I was well, like, Tex, we, we got to fix this. Well, to be fair, it, it probably was the first time that I did a coach-specific throwing anything in a decade. You know, like when I think where... I came from from the throwing world, right, as a collegiate coach, an athlete. It was so second nature at one point, but, you know, you take a 10-year break from anything, and it's like you're trying to remember the words of a book that you really liked but haven't read in a while. So I ended up, like, thinking back on it afterwards and being like, yeah, I probably would do that differently. You know, I'd probably adjust that a little bit. Maybe that progression was a little too steep or too... Uh, dynamic for what I was trying to get across to the coaches so to be able to do it this year it's probably for the best you know that it was almost like a, a trial run to oh yeah I used to be a throws coach all right welcome back to that world right because it is it's yeah. it's it's well, a I mean perishable it, skill it's such a gap too in the performance stuff I mean everybody's stuck in this sagittal plane deal yeah and we start talking about rotational power and transverse plane and being able to move through space effortlessly and seamless and ways to challenge it and yet when you you know go to the gram or you know social media uh people haven't even broached into it like i saw a guy yesterday he had like a a 
I think it was a med ball on like a piece of rope and he was like trying to do this thing against the like wall. Like the old tornadoes, right? But he wasn't moving his upper body. He was just using his arms. Using his arms. Well, So there was no rotation within the trunk. So like it's not really uh, like I don't even know what the fuck it was. And they were like, oh, it's great from the core. I'm like, his stomach never fucking moved. There was no like rotation. Either. There was no separating the upper body from the lower, which Rafa and I talked many years ago that the greatest athletes on the planet are the ones that can separate their body from the lower body and be able to move through space yep. and, you know. Well, it's like it's like the uh, dog toy, the Kong, right? They said the indestructible Kong can't be eaten by a dog until you give it to a like a bull terrier and they shred it or something yeah. like that. So like the old tornado balls on a rope are the same thing. So I go back 10 or 15 years ago, and when that device started to become very popular, uh, they sent a bunch to Judd back then, obviously, because they're like, oh, best hammer throw coach in the country at the time. This is the guy that is going to make this product incredible. Those things lasted about 15 strikes, and they, would, <laughs> they, and they would go the way of the Kong, the indestructible rubber, right? Um, so we ended up stop, we stopped using them completely because we would explode them in maybe a workout, workout and a half, right? Because we were actually doing the sport with incredible velocities and weight that you can actually do it correctly, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, there's limitations to that core device right mm -hmm. but we're doing you know rotational stresses with 35 pound weights on wire we you know uh an 80 meter or a 260 foot hammer thrower at the moment of release the implement weighs roughly 900 pounds right now it's going through moments that are in the microsecond where it hits these maximum velocities and loads but if you're able to counter and accelerate an eight or nine, or say you're a collegiate level thrower, a six, seven, 750 pound load multiple times and hold posture rotationally, you know, a 15 kilo rubber ball on a rope has no chance of surviving your workout. <laughs> no, but I like the fact that they thought it was. They did. Uh, they, they, they believed it for a bit. So the, the guy that invented the iron neck sent us one got you um so we put it on day one we're all excited we're going to do this stuff uh it was so small i couldn't get it on my head and left a nasty mark so like we never used it again so funny that you say that because i saw the device at like the cscca's a couple years ago and i'm like everyone was getting free iron necks like every, you know the sornex guys that go by they all had free iron necks and i'm like man i'm gonna go by that booth i'm gonna get a free iron neck right <laughs> <laughs> so i'm chatting up the guy and i'm like oh this is gonna be amazing i'm doing my best to like really create a like a, yeah. an interactive relationship crickets Right? Guy is like, knew who I was, knew who I was like associated with, nothing. Not even a, hey, you should uh, get like a 25% off, zero. And then now <laughs> I realize he's looking at my melon. Yeah. It was probably like, ah, oh, yeah, this isn't going to fit yeah, that Dude, guy. there's no fucking way it fit, on my, uh, it fit on my head. And they were like, hey, what'd you guys think? I'm like, I used it for three minutes and it left such a nasty mark on my head. I don't think I'm going to use it again. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, you need one for like bigger heads. And then I'm seeing like, you know, Joe Rogan. I'm like, oh, he's got a little head, you know, like. Little dudes, little heads. Big fucking noggin. And that thing didn't fit. No, I mean, like, <laughs> what you got in the Enderthal head? There's only so much you can do. Yeah. And the last time I checked, they don't make square ones. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, shit. Well, no, dude, I'm super excited for the rotational stuff. Um, you know, like the uh, linear speed and the change of direction and everything that I've learned from Roth over the years. Um, you know, there was always this element, and Roth can tell you, man, the, the, the really where the rubber meets the road and the separation between athletes is always going to come down to how you move through space in that transverse plane, the ability to be able to move and do these things. And it's something that 
uh, unfortunately, Instagram has not fucking latched on to yet. Well, so when you do a selfie, it's very hard to film the implement flying or you moving, mm. right? So, you know, you, you try not to be so logical about why certain things are cool and why certain things are not. But when it takes two people to record a workout just to get the base level perspective, eh, squats, deads, glue bridges, tricep push downs where the camera's on the floor looking up through the crotch, those are probably going to be your big hitters, yeah, right? Sure. You know, uh, having an overhead med ball throw for maximum velocity, mm, probably not so much. Not sexy. No, it's hard to get an appreciation for it, right? Like everyone right now is back on the Warner Gunther train. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Warner Gunther, who is a Swiss shot putter, was a super freaky, kind of built like you were when you played in the NFL, right? Like very similar body types. And there's an old video that's 33 minutes long, and it's a periodization video in French, and it shows off-season preparatory uh, special. And it's him getting ready for the shot put season. And he could jump really high and he could run and do all these incredible things at 308 pounds, six foot seven. Very similar, right? And so that video, when it came to the United States, was VHS tape, yeah. right? Uh, Joachim, who was a NCAA shot putter, brought it over. Uh, he was from Denmark, I believe, Joachim Olsen. And, uh, so his video kind of made it through the rounds. And by the time I got it at NCAAs, like it was literally this video was handed off from thrower to thrower at big, big events. So I'm at the NCAAs in Arkansas. And someone... Is this like 97? So this would, have been, uh, this would have been 2000 when 2000. I finally got it. And it was like, it was, it was like a, a high level like uh, bag of money deal, right? Like I see him come into the facility, University of Idaho, right? And I'm like, oh, there's Joachim. I think he's got that video. I got a call from my brother about it, you know? So I like wave at him. He's like, oh, and he pulls it out and he kind of laughs because his shot put it like broken a chunk off the VHS tape, right? <laughs> like this thing had been beaten. So he gives it to me. We take it back to Wyoming. We all watch it, you know, and, and it's the infamous video. So he's wearing purple too. Yeah, yeah if you've never seen it. He's wearing he wears a speedo. I yeah. mean, he's a three hundred and eight pound man that can pull the speedo off. So, yeah. and he's very mullety, right? A lot, yeah. of, a lot of mullet and, and stashy. Like there, there's a lot happening in that video. You know, basically he's a growth hormone early monkey edition. Uh, giant forehead <laughs> like Tom Selleck right like he's just there's a lot and uh, you know I'm not saying that he used monkey growth hormone but I'm just saying the time period makes sense um, <laughs> so when, you, when you look at that um, to see it now in 2022 all the little micro clips the micro clips like each video now is like 15 seconds of him like bounding up the stairs yeah. or doing something crazy and they're just they're showing up everywhere on social media and it's like oh i get it somebody took my black market video not mine specifically but the one i had they're cutting it into reels and they're posting reels now that social media is willing to pay people for all this real activity on instagram yeah. and it's like oh okay so something that we had to hand pass yeah. Like uh, like the black documents from the government is now making some douchebag X number of dollars off his 15 second reel clips because people are like, I've never seen anything this athletic. And it's like, this is all around us. Yeah. You guys just don't see it because you don't get access to 
Instagram style filming of real athletes doing real stuff. It, it's everywhere. Those type of athletes are everywhere. We had a dozen of them on my team, you know, give or take. But you know what the, and your take would be interesting, rotational power is almost something that you have to feel. And it's, it's not something that everybody can do. It's like, I can go Hulk smash, I can move linear, I can push weights, but it's like throwing. Like if you find that you're muscling it, you're not doing it right. And that's a difficult conceptual thing for the average person to do. It's like, okay, am I doing this right? It should almost feel effortless. Right. And, and that doesn't show up in social media. It's like, wow, he makes it look easy. That, that can't be that hard. So let me just scroll through versus seeing an athlete do, you know, chains and bands and, you know, gritting their teeth and screaming. Well, you know, when, when, when you're doing something rotational, it's like centripetal force. You just should feel easy. Throwing or running even, I always describe it to people. It's like we've, we've fallen into this world where when we have something that by design decelerates us through extension or, you know, whatever, through concentric action, Right. Throwing, there's going to be a, an eventual release of that energy where we go beyond the structure of our, of our body. And I talk about this in our presentation tomorrow. The moment that happens, you can't hide athleticism anymore because there's going to be a direct correlation to something that shows how loose, fast, and relaxed you can generate incredible amounts of power and speed. And it goes into this implement. Now, a smaller athlete isn't going to be able to throw a 35 pound weight particularly far in the beginning because of a lot of other variables, right? There, there's a reason why Ryan Krauser is the size of Ryan Krauser. What's the, he, 6'6"? Six, six? Uh, yeah, he might be 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, He's a monster, right? 320-ish. You know, um, uh, Joe Kovacs yesterday just went 23-23. Mm -hmm. So now we have two Americans over 23 meters in the same year. Like, it's a whole nother level, right? But. Joe Kovacs also squats 900 plus for four, right? He squatted 700 for 10 in his basement, put it on the gram, and no one even batted an eye, right? Like, he's just like, do you realize what he did? Yeah, it's um, fucking unbelievable. It's unbelievable, right? Uh, you know, his wife Ashley is spotting him. That was, you know, two years ago. But with that being said, um, it's very like the clock at the end of 100 meters or the distance an implement flies, it is an automatic correlation to the ability to impart force or to do things in a way in which goes beyond like the tension of a band. Like you've seen this a million times. We all have people don't even load bands the way they were designed to be loaded anymore. So now there's tension all the way through. So they're, they got band tension, which just makes everything slow and heavy. Everything's slow and heavy. They're putting chains on so they don't actually release through the angle of a joint to actually come off the ground all at once. So you still have to accelerate load. They're like, oh, it's just one long heavy chain. Well, yeah. might as well just have weight on the bar. So everything's being trained where people can kind of hide this like lack of dynamic energy and they can like, oh, they're training hard, man, that looks amazing. And it's like, you can them something or you make them go run and it's just not right. And you're like, oh, they can't accelerate his body. Well, that makes sense. You know, he never could, you know? So this preceded social media. So even going back yeah. to when I was interning at the D1s and seeing the football, it was for show. Like the football coaches are looking over, they can't be there, but they're looking and observing. And then watching the kids go out on, on the speed days, that's when injuries occur, different things occurred. So 
I guess it's always been for show, but now we have showing for the world versus just the football coach. Yeah, and you want if I jump in just for a sec, it's like um, there's I, I feel like there's two sides to this that there's a good and a bad, right? Now the good side is is the four minute mile is no longer, as an example, as difficult to break because we are getting exposed to so many great athletes doing things on social media that, you know, you saw it this year at the World Championships, like 200 meter times, 400 hurdle times. Uh, one of my athletes placed third in the 400 hurdles this year, two second PR at the World Championships. Like there's, there's all these incredible things because they're able to see and hear about things and be like, oh, I can do that. So there's a positive to that, right? There's, you know, the idea of world records being broken, I think is partially a byproduct of us having more exposure to the world, right? So we can be like, oh, there's a, a Kenyan javelin thrower that is a world champion because he learned on YouTube, right? So there's that, like, I don't deny that. The negative other side of that is people also realize that there's certain things that they can focus on that maybe don't have a huge amount of correlation to success. And that has a tendency to rise up a little bit too high. Um, so there's a lot of really bad training to go with the really good examples, right? So I think we could probably have even more success if there wasn't also the globalization of dog shit that is occurring in strength and Well, but you're also talking about uh, people's ability to discern what's good and bad. Oh, there's no... Um, that's, forget about it. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know. And maybe, like, a, a video, like, of Gunter. It's right. It's Gunter. I'm pretty sure. It's how he said it. Yeah, he's um, not from Arkansas. So, yeah. No, well, I, I saw that video pretty early on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I saw it, like, um, I, that the clips got emailed to me. Yeah. Or they might have come on a disc. And uh, right. I mean, big, strong dudes doing athletic things. And yeah. I mean, things that we've always seen. I mean, some of the things I'm most sad about was that we never videoed any of our training that uh, oh, Roth and I did. Absolutely. Uh, like, fucking how dumb were we? I mean, shit, there was so much cool shit that like I think back now and I'm like, fuck, we didn't video any of that shit. Nobody would have believed us if we unless had we had the video. Our, uh, like when I think back on all that information that we had that we just were training. Everything, I didn't even think about documenting workouts. Why would you document something that you're going to do tomorrow? Or post it online and tell people what you did. Like, I never even thought about that. I remember my dad was like, you should start a website. I'm like, what would I put on there? He's like, I don't know. You like working out. When you put that workout stuff on there, I'm like, nobody's going to look at that shit. So you put the our generation uh, collegiate track and field athletes. That was blasphemy. You didn't post what you were doing in, in practice because you didn't want anyone to know. To know what you were doing. Exactly. Yep. You were not allowed to talk about it. You weren't allowed to share numbers. You weren't allowed to discuss uh, how your practices broke down. There was zero sharing of information when I was in college. Zero. It got a little bit more when I was training with Judd, but not a lot. You know, like I would blog a little bit about our uh, workouts before blogs existed, but it was mostly just uh, boredom, right? Because I didn't realize there was actually interest. So when you look at that, like even my generation, or actually all of our generations, um, I still have a little bit of a hard time with like posting some of that stuff and, and thinking, okay, if I was actually training a, a shot putter for NCAAs right now or Worlds, would I post their workouts? And there's a part of me that's really like, no way. 
But if we had saved all of our training document and filmed it all, we'd have a second business right now just releasing clips to Reels and to YouTube for monetization. And we wouldn't have to really work all that much. Well, Roth would be making money off the snuff films. Oh, for uh, sure. That we train. So one year we got kicked out of the weight room. Nice. And we ended up in a warehouse uh, in the middle of Tampa in the summer um, that had uh, skylights. So awesome. it was probably 120 degrees in this fucking place. Easily. Yeah. Tampa and humidity. It was fucking awful. And all the weights had rusted. Like they were all not bolted down. Like the fucking training people would have been like, this is staged. Like, there's no way you guys fucking trained in this. And then, like, the running and all the other shit we did, it was absolute. Like, I, I remember when I went to training camp, uh, like, we showed up to do our, like, conditioning, all our stuff. I fucking demolished everybody. And I hadn't been there a single day. And they were like, oh, you know what we're doing for your training? And I was like, you won't. Like, you wouldn't even believe it if I fucking told you. But wouldn't that be the argument why he was sub 10% as a lineman in the NFL when it didn't exist? Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Because you were training in a way in which people are just now finally maybe starting to replicate maybe i doubt they are and and i would say one of the positives to doing it is when we were working with the olympic swim team um, the coach actually talked about hey is there something that these guys can do that looks really cool because they want to look back and be like hey you know that's kind of like my badge of honor this is why i'm winning gold medals and and that would be one of those things that where for instance, Raider. Raider can look back in, in wherever this journey takes him and he can go, holy cow, look at all of this crap my dad made me do for the last you know, 18 years of my He's life. He's going to be in fucking therapy being like, and then look at this, and look at this, and look at this. <laughs> and all the therapists can be like, yep, that yeah, moment that right it. there. Look there at that is. post right there. You can't blame your father forever, at least until you're 26. <laughs> so it definitely would give give that edge of having almost that video diary of yeah. wow i remember and but the issue is the only thing that would post would be those days that kind of suck the you hardest know, and the worst. hardest worst days and that's what what the social media cannon fodder is is those days are the ones that you know we'll get we'll get a ton of likes and a ton of messages and be like oh wow look at raider grind but they won't go Hey, look at this one where we took five minutes rest in between right. where we're going, okay, look at those two reps. Look at the, look yeah. at the, you know, I'll do a before this was his form. This is after, and we'll get like, Hey, there's 30 likes and nobody will look at that versus a coach will send me a message and they'll go, wow, that's unbelievable. Right. Look at the change there, but we won't get any, there won't be any clicks. There won't be anything. It's just kind of what it is. It's a travesty, right? Where we've gotten to this point now where people are just replicating hard, right? Replicating, well, they're not even replicating because they may only film 15 seconds. So they'll spend an hour in a weight room getting up to this one thing that looked really smashing. And, they, and they're like, 15 seconds of smash. Not realizing that might have been the only smash of the day mm. where you mm. guys were smashing for an hour, 90 minutes. Uh, it's like three hours. Three hours. Right? It, was, it was fucking awful, dude. Yeah. Like, I just remember, like, most days we would show up, like, Rob would get up and, uh, you know, he'd be there super early and I wouldn't show up till like 8 30. And then uh, we would get done at one and go to lunch at like 1 30. Yeah. Uh, maybe two o'clock. And, like, there was like legit four or five hours, like, in that day where you were in the fight. And it was like, because we would uh, we do some form of dynamic movement, we lift weights, we would sprint, we do it like it was fucking full on. Like, it should have been multiple workouts. We just did it all at once. Right. And then I would eat, he'd go back, and I would just go home and go to sleep. Right. 
Yeah. That was it. Which is a smart way to do it, oddly yeah. enough, right? It was great. Yeah. I loved it. It was just like fucking the train. And then the, my favorite part was when people would come visit us. Or like people come from out of town, like, hey, I'm going to control. I'd be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, thank God. Like, there's like, you know, because it was like, uh, it was nice to have validation. People, you guys do this shit every right. day? I'm like, yeah, we fucking Did y'all turn it up for those people or just do what was on the to. card? Didn't have to. You didn't have to. I mean, to. remember David Boston showed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, and Roth had to go and tell him, being like, dude, you're going to hurt yourself. You should probably not train with us anymore. This well, isn't good for you. And there was a guy. Now, that's a perfect example of that era. He was the start of the... Yeah, in my opinion, the start of the attention era mm -hmm. for training over performance, right? You know, you're talking about a guy who was about 275 pounds right before he started blowing up. You know, 270 training. His fucking chest was like. Yeah, you know. So there was a guy that went through the Poliquin system. Yeah. Not for clarification, by no means did he go through the quote unquote Poliquin system. He was trained by Charles initially in Scottsdale, and then got handed off to another coach. And, uh, and regardless of what they were doing behind the scenes, obviously he was a phenom, right? Um, but it's a, the law of diminishing return. You don't make a wide receiver 275 pounds. You know, he had a, I mean, you're just asking, like, in theory, would it be amazing if you could have an injury-free 275-pound wide receiver? Yeah, of course. But it's not going to work that way. Because it goes back to the conversation we started with. You start training slow and compartmentalized and very specific joint muscle movement pattern over dynamic athleticism. You're going to get on the field and things are going to start exploding. And he yeah. exploded, literally, right? Yeah. It was patella tendon. Yeah. And he never really came back from... I mean, he had a little GHB thing later on, but... Yeah, that, yeah I mean, he's just a party guy. He's just a party uh, guy. He just needed to sleep on the plane. Well, I mean, dude... Uh, um, like you think about like uh, hamstrings in terms of decelerate uh, like deceleration. So I mean, you think about like the shift, the shifting on the tibial plateau. I mean, the dude had these massive quads and no hamstrings and no ass and no back. Like everything was in the front. And I remember watching him trying to decelerate, and we were sprinting and being like, "That guy's gonna fucking blow his knees out," because yep. he was started hopping. Like he couldn't decelerate. And I know that was something we worked on constantly: sprint as fast as you can, and then come to a really you know quick. Uh, stop and being able to control you don't need fucking 50 yards to, to decelerate and I, yeah. I had to I remember JD and Corey Chavis I literally went to him and I was like hey I don't know this guy but I go let's can you guys kind of back him off a little bit and because I go I'm, I'm worried I, like I'm watching this session I'm like I don't you know I don't know what his ego is going to allow him to to recognize when he has to to pull back on the reins himself and I said you know I'm going to trust that you guys you know, clown him, joke with him, do something. But I go, I, I don't want him because this is going to end up being a, a bad session. Right. And you'll get knocked for it when you had nothing to do with any yeah. of the development to that type of athlete. Yeah. But he is like when he made ESPN the magazine and there was the big spreads that came out and the article was going in depth about his coach living with him and traveling with him and cooking his food and, and doing IVs. IVs. And, yeah. and it really was kind of the breakthrough to what we now think of as super high level development of an athlete but it was it would, you could tell they were it was probably a little armchairish back then it, it, it probably wasn't 
experts doing it. They were, you know, they was black bagging it, showing up at two in the morning, giving someone an IV, you know, out of there at two thirty. No one ever knew about it. I mean, we even saw that uh, in the NFL in 07. It was still pretty hush hush for someone to get an IV, right? Sure. Because an, an IV automatically, oh, if it's a needle, there's got to be drugs, right? Sure. There was still that that little bit of that hangover with that psychology. Um, you know, thank God that's changed. You know, but. Again, it's, it's social media and modern uh, uh, things that have actually helped that out. And I give a lot of credit, oddly enough, to things like uh, uh, the UFC and MMA. They've done more for de-stigmatizing yeah. um, some of that than almost any other sport in the I world. I fuck up that word constantly. I actually use remove the stigmatization, and then I fuck that one up constantly, <laughs> yeah, so, so they, don't worry about that. They fixed the eyesight issue that the UFC had, uh, destigmatize the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, with their stigma. <laughs> well, yeah, with their stigmata. Their stigmata. Oh, wait, wait, wasn't that a movie with the hand? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so they, they fixed the religious issue. Um, but in regards to that, it, it, I do think that... It, and you, I would have to say you got to give a huge shout out to a guy like Joe Rogan for that, right? Because he was the critical thinker in the background that was like, okay, if this is HRT, if this is hormone replacement, that's different than what this is, which is maximizing health and wellness, blah, blah, blah. And you go down all these avenues. But I tell you what, before we had open conversation where, uh, where people were allowed to just discuss it, you know, it was basically my kid didn't make the NFL because he didn't use drugs. My kid didn't make MLB because he didn't use drugs. If my kid could have used drugs, he'd be like you, right? So that kind of dissolved and it also allowed us simultaneously to be like, oh, if I do a Myers cocktail, which Charles was doing back in 2000 with his athletes with increased vitamin C doses, we can start to massively upregulate restoration between training sessions and if blah 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 we can create better athletes so I, I do think there are some positives that come out of something like a David Boston but at the same time talk about putting a spotlight on look over performance because in my opinion he was the first that they, they wanted to look a certain way when he stepped on that field well, it was it was also him wearing the uh, cat's eyes contacts. He like showed up and like the hair, and then he had like the weird backpack that he was carrying with all of his supplements and food. Like he kind of broached this fucking weirdo, where I think that there's a, a non crazy person approach to it. And the problem is, is when you get to this fucking obscure, strange, yeah, like where it just looks fucking weird. Like that's a hard it's, thing. Did the character from Jerry Maguire? Like the wide receiver that he showed the money to? Is this based off David Boston? Or did David Boston base himself off of Cuba's character? That's a good uh, question. I, I, I never made the, the connection between the two. What are the years? It's close. It's yeah. got to be right around there. And I, I think you could make a, a pretty strong argument that if Britney Spears created TikTok, David Boston created influencers. Did Britney Spears create TikTok? There ain't no doubt she's the queen of TikTok. She just never got credit for it. Right, like she has been what people are trying to be now. Well, you know what's funny about Britney Spears, side note, is she's finally getting positive attention. Absolutely. Right, like mm -hmm. she's finally starting, and it's the TikTokers that are, because they're all taking all their old dances and all their old music and creating all these things. So yeah. people are finally like, ah, oh, Britney was all right. She's like our queen. It's fucking Britney, bitch. It's Britney, bitch, right? Yeah. So, but David, like the guy showing up with all the pills in his backpack and, and making a scene and being a show and being all these things other than a touchdown creator. I mean, he's no Joe Jervicious, right? Yeah. 
but he made a lot of money in a very short window of time, which sounds very familiar to today's modern world. That's a good end. That's a good deal. I mean, would David Boston really have been that first Instagram? I mean, dude, I'm I'm sad one that um, that social media. I mean, really, Instagram wasn't more prevalent when we were deep in this fight because uh, I look at the Chronicle. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have had more historical feedback for what we did. Yeah. And then on top of it, when I see this shit and people are like, oh my God, look at that. I'm like, yeah, dude, we fucking killed that. Yep. Uh, like I was watching some training with The Rock and Aaron Donnelly. Um, Donald. Or, sorry, Aaron Donald. And I was like, ah, I would have liked to have been there. That would have been yeah. a fun one. Yep. So, no, I mean, it's, uh, it's good and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's giving people an interesting glimpse of like what could be happening. Right. Um, and then, you know, you think like, hey man, like these guys are brands, they're building brands and they're doing, they're looking from this. Whereas it feels like a lot of work. Like there was really some amazing simplicity of playing the game and doing it in this way and kind of a, you know, in a hidden way opposed to constantly shining well, a light. But that world doesn't exist and this is the world we live in. So you either bitch about it or you go forward. This episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic, the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Here's a question. Can you compartmentalize that outside world and build your brand and build your business and still be a high-level performer? At what point does it become a distraction? Because some of the NBA guys, as an outside observer, I'm seeing all the effort that they're doing distract from their game. Was it? Can it be done? Can it just be, hey, let's clock in, let's clock out? I don't know if I could. Um, I mean, just the attention in terms of like uh, going places. I mean, like, I mean, just the attention in terms of girls. Like that was a fucking more overwhelming than enough. I can't imagine like right. the social media, the dating, like uh, all this other shit. I'm like, holy hell! Like I don't like it's too much to manage. Uh, I really like the fact that I got to come to Tampa and train with Roth. Where like I didn't play for the Bucks. I mean, my my team was far away. We got to go out and we were you know I was a big dude, so they knew I played something, but I didn't play for the Bucks. And so there was a little anonymity, which is another word I fuck up constantly. Um, to be able to do it, where we got to go focus on it. Whereas I think today. I mean, it just feels like wherever you go, it's like a, you know, like a, like a Hollywood celeb, which I wouldn't want any fucking part of that. I mean, you heard Brad Pitt talk about it. He's like, fuck, it's awful. That's why he's developed this faceless disease. Yeah. I, there is no way that's true. I think <laughs> I'm claiming yeah. I'm claiming I have it too, except like, it's faces and names. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, oh, what was your name? Oh, I already got names, yeah. right? I've had it since birth. But this face thing, I think he's onto something. I mean, how else could you like talk about being able to buy back? your anonymity right if you're brad pitt be like what's wrong with him oh man he can't remember faces he, he has a disease he can't see faces anymore like what do you mean like that's blank and they tried to describe it on usa it's, today it's probably the greatest fucking troll of it i mean so like it's it, amazing now if, if he meets people like oh you don't remember me it's like i got this disease i don't remember faces right because back in the 70s you had to pretend to die on a toilet to disappear right a la elvis presley and now you can just be like fuck it i don't see are you faces. saying elvis didn't die on a toilet come on so uh, I'm going out on some inside information. Uh, my training partner in college is a guy named Drake Parker. Yeah. Drake Parker's dad, uh, David Parker's brother, Ed Parker, oh, who was Elvis' bodyguard. Yeah. Uh, father Karate. of American Kempo. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Speakman, oh, the perfect right. weapon. 
So uh, we would go stay, and I got to go stay with Drake and his family in Hawaii. And uh, his dad came out. And, and the gardener out back was a hell of a singer? Uh, no. <laughs> that would have been fucking hilarious. But the dad came out and basically showed us all this jewelry that when they went to Graceland, that Elvis would give them all this shit. And they had all this crazy shit he was showing us. Wow. And then uh, I asked him, I was like, did you ever hang with Elvis? And he's like, yeah, many times. We went to dinner, but he didn't eat dinner till 2 in the morning. Yeah. And there was like tinfoil over the windows and this. And he's like... Um, and just know that poor man died on the toilet. And I was like, yeah. did he really? And he's like, my brother found him. Yeah, that's a tragedy. And uh, he, he, he was so constipated and so backed up. From the pills? From the pills and oh, all the other shit they yeah. were giving him. He fucking basically died mid-shit. Couldn't get it out, strained and fucking died. Yep. Yeah, I'd, I'd heard that. I heard wow. that. Like, he is the first example of the opioid epidemic in America. Like, he was the writing on the wall in 1974 that something horrific was coming. And it took you know 40 years for it to hit us did basically. you see the new elvis uh, uh no, bi- bi- I, or what I did. was it biography no um biopic biopic if yeah. it's anything like um queens it's got to be amazing because yeah. it was amazing it, it's there's a lot to pack in 40 years and my dad's a big elvis guy and he he, he signed it so he said it was great wow. and i'll, I'll take his so word for they've it hit a bunch of his weird shit like he was uh, obsessed with like uh, young girls and white cotton panties and there's a whole bunch of like yeah but the the plot a little bit but the plot's more about the gen the the colonel the colonel and how just a f- fucking dirtbag he is yeah. so it's well but perfect. tom tom hanks cannot be the star even though it's about elvis so. 100% well this is it's perfect to circle back around is I think an athlete, to answer your question, would have to determine how big of a star you want to be. Right. Because you could be a a very, very successful pro athlete and not be LeBron. But I think that you have to go out of your way to develop the LeBron persona. I, you could perfectly be highly successful and, and do your job and, and make a ton of money but if, if you want to be that superstar, then that, that has to be manufactured. That has to be like, hey, you know, I need to, I don't want to go to the club, but I'm going to go to the club and I'm going to get video of me at the club, so on and so forth. Or I need to go, hey, you know, Derek, video me working out because I, you, you have to create that persona. You know, working with Dion, that was an interesting thing where he created that superhero persona like primetime. like yeah i'm primetime i you know outside of that you know we're bass fishing and it's it's sitting on a little lake and and, wow. and we're sitting there and and i'm dion but you know when when he steps in the arena it's it's put the cape on and and let's go to and 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 you find that terrell owens kind of syndrome where i, I kind of watching that from the outside and knowing what i knew the moment i saw terrell start to go Oh, you know, T.O. does this. And, oh, you know, Terrell was talking to T.O. about... And I was like, wait, did you... Was that the fourth person? Nah. So so when he started talking about himself in the third person, and then he somehow adopted the fourth person, which is actually when you're talking about yourself as we. Right. So he was like, hey, like, we did this. And you're like, wait a minute, who who was there? It's like, (laughs) yeah, like, like we took a shower. And I was like, who was in there? Well, it's just me. So, like, that now he transcended into the fourth person, which is... Uh, identifying yourself as more than one person as a we and, and you're about yourself still has time to send a friend of mine dms on instagram 
<laughs> she, she is very attractive. And uh, he's trying to slide in on them DMs? No, we are trying to slide in. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, T.O., we are trying to slide <sighs> And it would happen every once in a while. Uh, she's very attractive, not uh, Insta celebrity or anything like that. She's just, she's a professional woman that has Instagram. And every once in a while, the real T.O. would slide into her DMs. And I'm like, that is a dude that like is willing to see like, oh, she showed up in, let's call it the Explorer page. Because how yeah. else would you, you know? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the fucking algorithm uh, yeah, vomit. Vomit, right? Yeah, yeah. So for sure, that's what must have happened. And he was, well, we were like, man, she's hot. And right. she fucking screen caps and is like, check and send this. it to me. Oh, yeah. Jesus. And I was like, that is amazing. What do you do? She goes, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you got to write back. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just find out. And very polite, very normal stuff. It wasn't like, you know, any weirdness, but it was just like, huh, that's weird. I, told, I, I would never have thought of that unless we started talking about uh, Tia. I've been married for too long um, to like, I've been married long enough to where like that wasn't really a thing. And I always thought it was kind of weird because I get all these weird DMs from people like yep. who knows if they're bots. But I'm always like, I wonder if dudes like slip a DM and it actually ends up. And then uh, Paul Carter's like, oh yeah, I, all the girls I beat. All he, the time in that yeah, world. Yeah, he yeah. meets them through DMs and this, and then they have relationships. And then I think they finally meet on, you know, once they get a proposal yeah. or something. Yeah, I... I I've seen weird. the Monte Teout documentary, and that anyone that I don't know, no, I'm staying the hell away because that is super weird. What the catfish? Uh huh. Yeah. They did it. Uh, Netflix got a. Good. It's it's really good. It's I think that was very cathartic for him yeah. to go through it and and speak about it. Uh, man, yeah, must watch. Well, I'm I'm always curious too. On like uh, we I know we've talked about this. Uh, dude sending dick pics and like, hey, this is the one that's gonna get her. Let me slip her that. <laughs> That to me, because I see uh, we've had girl like uh, girls I know that have big followings over her ass, and I'm like, you get a lot of fucking uh, dick pics, and they're like, yeah, it's like uh, fucking getting thrown hot dogs into you. One hundred, and I'm like, so just like random dudes, I'm like, is it always their dick? She's like, nah, probably just sending. Like they just want to cur- cur- like basically uh, uh, you know use the currency of dick pics to send, and I'm like, so they just have like one that they like that they just keep sending girls. Thinking like, what yeah. if you show up and you're you know you're it's not, not black. It. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. That's strange. You look different in real life. Yeah. Uh, you're a five foot two white dude. You're sending me a fucking dark, you know, it's, like, it's fucking weird. Well, and I think it, it, to not go down a rabbit hole by any stretch. <laughs> I think that's the theme of this podcast. But, Hold yeah. on. We're going down a fucking rabbit hole. But it's like, uh, so the one, like this past year has been interesting for me because I went back to school and I got involved in law enforcement and I became a sheriff, right? Like a complete... 90 degree turn from where I was last year and the one thing that it has and I kind of always assumed but we live in the matrix and (laughs) Uh, yes yes. I know we do and there is another existence that exists around us that we are unaware of 99% of the time so is this kind of where Joe Rogan was talking about like DMT being able to access alternate universes that are happening at this moment that there's other dimensions that things are living in is that kind of no it would be more like men in black when Kay is working in the post office and they remind him that everyone around him is aliens right and so when you're like, oh, you know, just another older dude on a random bike going down the side of the road, you stop him, he's got four warrants, he's probably got a gun, he's got a pound of meth, right? Like, you're like, oh, wow, you guys, there is another world happening around my little neighborhood. And it's constant. Like, that part of it was a huge eye opener. 
But with that being said, the dick pic on Instagram is the equivalent to me of the 1980s flasher, right? <laughs> so <laughs> back then, you really had to like, you had to like get your nerve up to like open coat a stranger on the street and be like, check this out, any takers, right? Because you're putting a risk out there. It's the same person. Dude, it uh, just makes you realize how many more flashers there actually are. Unfortunately, what social media has done is, I, I mean, to, not to belabor this point, but I think with social media and what we see, everybody's putting their best foot forward at all times. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if we get to necessarily see, well, I don't know. I mean, we, we have, we were talking about, um, um, Craig Douglas's course we were rapping earlier a bit about it and they're like it answered a whole bunch of questions for me like Craig who you're going to meet who's coming uh, to do our post no what's it called plenary plenary so you have your keynote and your plenary I fucked that word up earlier um, so he was on our podcast undercover cop like really good good dude teaches all these combatives um, doesn't sub necessarily subscribe to like any martial art it's like a mix of like catch wrestling boxing uh, jujitsu and it's just whatever works yeah it, it, it's like hey this is the shit to keep you alive so he's on the podcast fucking cool cat and so he hits me up and it's like hey um, like I'm having a course in like two days okay what do I need a uh, cup a mouthpiece and 200 rounds that's all I ask for <laughs> so we show up whose car are we taking yeah seriously you, you know me I'm like fucking let's go so we show up to this range, this private range out in Bastrop in the middle of nowhere, and it's literally Fight Club. Like, you're wearing helmets, like a dude has a SIM gun. I, I mean, I still got a SIM mark right here from where I got shot in the belly button at close range. Um, but uh, it was like, the dude's got a gun, I'm six feet away. I, like, and I, I kind of always imagined everybody was like in this smooth John Wick. Dude fumbled his thing, I catch him with a forearm, knock him to the ground, and basically fucking curb stomp him to death. And I'm like, so you can have a gun within six to ten feet of me, and I will kill you before you draw it. So it was epic to answer. It's like a run play. Yeah, it was great. I loved it. And uh, just fucking trying to like fuck people up. Uh, the only place I, I got exposed was I don't like to be on my back, which in the NFL, if you play on the ground, you don't play. And if somebody's on top of me, it's a real bad thing. So I, have a, I don't like to lay on my back. Um, so that's why I should probably get into jiu-jitsu so I get better at that. But um, there was a dude from Starting Straight, Nick, who's like six foot three, thirty, three hundred pounds, 330, huge dude laying on top of me and I couldn't get him off and so uh, he fucking got my gun shot me so the next time I grabbed my gun and jammed it in his asshole and pulled the trigger and fucking simmed it in the balls <laughs> but this is how violent it was it was fucking great like it was so much fun but uh, there was it, it answered a lot of questions for me because uh, they were situations that you could never necessarily mimic unless you've been in them for life or death like hey I got on these helmets I got a sim gun this guy's here and he looks kind of shady how close do I let him go before I fucking action this thing? And for me, it's like, even if the dude's shady, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. If I got a gun and he doesn't have anything, I'll go hands with anybody. But yet there was girls in the class. Dudes acted around. Girl fucking shot this dude. And we're like, yeah, he had a gun. Like, he was going to do something shady. He hadn't done it yet. Now, if, if it was me in that situation, I would have gone to jail. Her, they would have been scot-free. But it was... Uh, it was pretty amazing, and so what I'm asking Craig to come talk at the, at the collective about is the idea of readiness, and like you know, making sure that you're training and you're vigilant, and that you're putting yourself into constant testing and training. Like something we were talking about, like jujitsu, like uh, you know, if you're in that situation, but um, you know, within the, the confines, let's say within the dojo, within the mats, but then you get into a situation where, you know, uh, I got a black belt in jiu-jitsu and uh, one of the guys, uh, John Valentine, who uh, follow, actually follows Hammer, fucking, it was, I met him in the course and now follows our training, uh, jiu-jitsu black belt, really, really switched on dude and he's like, 
fuck, dude, I'm giving away 100 pounds. Like, I don't like there isn't too much I can do where you're not going to fucking shatter my skull. Right. And so I think what's what's cool and what I liked about Craig's course about is a lot of guys are um, jujitsu guys, combatives, whatnot. They go to Craig's course as kind of their AAR to see if their shit's all in one sock to quote Dave Brewer. And so there's like this testing thing, and I know Rafi big on this, where it's like fucking all the training in the world ain't worth shit if you can't do it when it matters. Skill, display yeah. skills. But you have to be able to put yourself in these situations. So here's a situation where, fuck, Derek went out and was like, fucking, I'm gonna go through a post-certified course, I'm gonna go to school, I'm gonna do this, and now all of a sudden you're in a situation and you're seeing the shit from a completely different level. Um, and when I was going through Craig's course, somebody asked, and I was like, because uh, a, a lot of it was like observation, seeing how people act. I'm like, you either got to be a cop or go be a bouncer at a club. Because mm-hmm. I learned all this shit and how to uh, observe fucking bad people from being a bouncer. Right. Like, uh, I had no idea. You know, when we talk about presence of force, especially if you're in uniform, I, they, they can tell you a million times what you'll see and then what you do see. And sure enough, I would have never guessed how easily it is to spot guilty personalities. I'm not saying criminals necessarily. People up to no good. People up to no good. If you're in uniform, their body language is so incredibly subconscious and it's so obvious that you're like, man, how can that person be a criminal? Like Like they either have criminal intent they're either somebody that has been up to something. There's something about them that they do not want you to notice them. And their behavior is like, they might as well have just turned the light on, right? And you'll see the other one. You'll, it happened to me a couple times when I was on patrol, foot patrol. You would get a guy that just death stares you as they walk by. And you're like, wow, that guy's got some history with the police. Like something about him really hates us. Who knows what it is? right there's no way to judge but the ones i would look for is i would stand and wait for the crowd to come through the gate to pay and it was like amazing to watch them turn like a like a sunflower to the sun right like as they're coming towards you they're like are you gonna walk through that gate backwards like you know (laughs) it's to the point now where i can't even see your body you're like totally bladed me and they're like blading you as they go by and you're like what did you do at some point in your life, what have you done that is ingrained into your genetic body language? Mm. You know, and so that part's been fascinating because you're just like, wow, you're, you're obviously uncomfortable with everything about this. And it made me wonder how many people do that without realizing it. Have I ever done it in a coaching athlete scenario? Because then I follow it all the way back. Like, man, I, I wish I had been a little more... Like, I've always had okay uh, emotional quotient stuff, you know, as a coach. But it's like, whew, I could have probably used some of this training with my athletes, for sure. You've probably seen it a lot. Oh, 100%. I mean, when when you're dealing with getting somebody to display a skill in a very chaotic, stressful environment, which is what the weight room is. You know, you're asking somebody, okay, we're going to do crazy fives, 15 second go fast, and then blah, 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 you're going to run these resisted sprints, like their ability to maintain calm is going to be, will determine how well they can display that skill. And you have no idea what their history is. You have no idea if they're putting up defenses against you. They may want to fight you, which they obviously sometimes want to. And your ability to emotionally go, you know what? 
I, I'm not going to butt heads with you. Let me take a step back and then figure this out. And it happens all the time. And do you find, like you made the comment earlier about the ability to display skill is a byproduct of them having done the work, I guess you could say as well, and put in the time and being ready and their body language showing up if you don't see them all the time and being like, oh, this person's been lying. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're about to have to perform for me and I'm going to catch them in a lie. In an ego where they feel guilty about themselves and then they're going to displace it on you. Like, okay, you didn't do the work. Don't get mad at me yeah. kind of thing. So, yeah, it happens. Well, I mean, we saw it all the time at the CrossFit football seminars. You know, we would show up and, um, you know, we first question is asked, like, how many guys have been sprinting and running and changing right. direction? How many people are ready to do this? Everybody would raise their hand. And then all of a sudden we used to start. And, like, it was, it was hilarious. It was a, uh, an amazing... Uh, one, I'm stoked that Ralph and Kelly are here this weekend because uh, they were at the very first one and really the brain helped me, you know, this whole brainstorm deal. But um, we fucking just took people at their word and we're like, dude, you've been spirit, let's fucking go. And we would just get into it, which because, you know, trained professional athletes and I'm a professional athlete, you know, if a dude shows up, you know, uh, to train with us and with Ralph, like, they already know the fucking deal. We're going to fucking run. There's going to be dynamic warm up. We're going to move through space. We're going to do this and we're going to go fucking hit it. So, like, there's no. Uh, like like there's no hiding it we know like if you're showing up here to train and you're training with other professional athletes and you've done this job you know now you might be a little out of shape right. which is fine take a little bit extra don't fucking hurt yourself but there's no hiding like we know like everybody knows the score we'd show up to the cross football deal and people like I don't know what they thought but there were people and we'd be like hey many guys have been sprinting training in this and we, we would, the first couple we just fucking got into it and people like fucking Santa Iwo Jima people were getting fucking grenaded and then we had to be like a step back and I was like Ralph what do we do and he's like I think we're gonna have to put him through an extensive warm up um, warm up and diagnostic for us to figure out who we have to fucking manage and that's where the dead bugs and we got into this whole dynamic or not it wasn't dynamic it was the static movement prep iso stability which he got from Dr. Gasser and like you know the iso stability test and the ability to use limbs which has become a foundation of the program because we needed time to figure out who was ready and who wasn't. And we had to put three or four in, and within 20 minutes figure it out and then figure out who we had to triage. Because originally, remember the original ones, dude, it was like fucking like Normandy getting just shot in the face and dudes were imploding. And we were like, holy fuck, we can't hurt everybody day one. It's America's Got Talent, right? And it's, yeah. you see this play out over and over and over again. People can't figure out how there could be 7,000 shitty singers standing outside of a building thinking that they legitimately sound like Whitney Houston, right? And, it, and I've used this analogy a lot because it, it, we're like, why do they show up so unprepared? Why do they show up so unable to perform? And you realize because either everyone in their life or through their own delusion, there is a percentage of the population that no matter how much they believe in something, it's not reality, right? And so it's America's Got Talent. And, and we see it in sports. We, you know, CrossFit football, you know, which is not my world, but I can appreciate the analogy. Well, uh, sadly, I wish we had known you because we would have sucked you <laughs> in. And you would have been fucking right there with us just being like, what the fuck? Yeah, and, right. And what was wild is uh, Chris was one, I mean, what was that, number? Five. Yeah, he was one of our Fifth original one. attendees, number five in Oakland. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that was... Uh, that, that was an epic event because remember Rob had just gotten booted out and he came and gave the nutrition talk. We must have had 50 people at that thing. Yeah, it was, it was 40 to 50. What I can't comprehend 
is it was 16 hours and the amount of stuff and drills and information and lectures that we fit in to then go and be able to teach it years later and still like we're missing stuff from the OG. Well, we had to. These guys are probably better teachers than me. Well, that's no, what I'm saying. We, so, so we, uh, we figured in those days that we were going to give people their money or we were going to give them their money's worth. But we also figured that people were like coming up from up here. And then over the course, we realized like, oh, shit, dude, like, like, like we're talking about complex things. I mean, Rob's over there talking about chunking method in terms right. of like movements in this. And like, uh, like this is things that people had never even heard of. Well, I'm grateful I mean, because my eight mile moment was it was John asking for three muscles contractions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking around at a room of 50 people. Dude, it's 23, 23 year old, like pretty shy dude. And then, okay, you were three years later. Okay, you actually answered a question correctly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that was one of my deals. I'm like, hey, can you guys tell me the three muscle contractions? Like it was probably 90%. Like nobody raised their hands and like, you know, people got it wrong. Like, oh, I'm like, well, we have an eccentric, a concentric, a symmetric. And we're going to base the training around these different muscle contractions, the accentuation phase. And we, I mean, it got to the point where like we knew what we wanted to teach and we had to go back. And Roth's like, I think I got to do a physiology talk. And Roth would get up there and fucking split their wig for like, which should have been about 30, but it ended up being more like 60, if not longer. But like distal, proximal, this, this is how, you know, we get into myelination and rate coding. And like, I went a little probably, I mean, these people like, like, fucking, like eyes are big, but it, it's, it's stuff. Sometimes that you, you have would, to throw that in though, just to make them realize how far from the end of the path they actually are. Well, and, and this was Rob's mm-hmm. deal is like, man, these guys own gyms, they're training athletes and they know nothing of within physiology, muscle contractions. I mean, they don't understand like how this stuff is playing into this. And, uh, it's, well, you Derek know. brought up America's Got Talent. Do you guys remember that show, Pros versus Joes? Yes. That was my favorite show because the average person has zero concept of, of really what an elite level athlete is. And so if you were coming to the CrossFit football seminar, how many guys would answer that question? Hey, what do you want to do? I want to train professional athletes. I want to train Olympians. I want to train. And I'm like, oh, well, do you really have what it takes? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. I love to work out. And I'm like, well, that's really not that. That's like the very, very scratching the surface. And I think a lot of them just didn't realize the the complexity of like, okay, you know what? I remember they put a guy in the pool with, with Michael Phelps. And the guy's like, you know, they interview, and that was the best part of it. They're like, okay, how are you going to do? You're lined up against the, the best Olympian swimmer. And he was like, oh, I like my chances. And, and then it was just like, okay, here he goes. And he's like swimming laps. And this guy, you know, they had to send the lifeguard in to go save him. And, and there's Michael just underwater, just swimming back and forth. And, and I remember they brought out Lawrence Taylor. Like, who can, who can run the ball past Lawrence Taylor? And it, it was just unbelievable. Roy Jones, they put a guy in the ring with Roy Jones. And, and it's always amazing how many times guys go, yeah, I, I, I have a chance. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have a, you're not even a clue. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, it was Romanowski. Didn't, didn't. Uh, Romanowski some, yeah, was when, in there. When, yeah. like, like you had to run the ball against Romo. <laughs> oh uh, I, man, I like, I played against Romo. And he is a fucking absolute savage of a human. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like I, Phelps would go like eh, uh, 60, 80%, but Romo would just like, no, no Ro- fuck no. that guy. Romo's <laughs> like, these, did, did they sign the waiver? Because I'm going to fucking, I'm going to kill him. Yeah, Romo would have been like 1980s wrestler who gets oh. pissed and is like, 
you think this is fake? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I mean he probably like uh, I like I could see him over there, and I like I know he like the dude brought the ball and he fucking smashed him, yeah. and like it just that that dude had an absolute fucking rocket. But that's the truth. That's a perfect analogy because I remember the last couple years of uh, American Gladiators, <sighs> like modern American Gladiators. So. They had this like foam tower that they had to climb. And you know, most American gladiators were former bodybuilders, right? So they look. Michael Hearn. Yeah, right. Who actually looks better in his 50s than he did back then. Yeah, adrenochrome for sure. So. (laughs) Well, he's all natural, dude. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, and it was funny because these guys would light up these guys pretty well right but then in that last year or so they signed uh at the time bro greer and bro greer was the american record holder in the javelin and bro was like i don't know six three or six four like 220 pounds and super athletic guy like a 90 meter javelin thrower pretty much from a three stand right and I remember being like, oh, I'm going to check out American... I hadn't seen it forever. I want to check out American Gladiators because bro's on it. Let's see what happens. And it was these guys like climbing up these blocks to get to the top of the tower. And you see bro is like a human rocket. And he's not even a football background. He's a javelin thrower. Blasting guys. He would like, you know, cross a period of space and like a fraction of the time, blast the dude off, go back the other way, blast the dude off. And I'm like... <laughs> Oh, okay. So this is a javelin thrower, right? <laughs> Blasting dudes. What would a like retired equivalent level like running back do to these guys if they're like, hey, are you kind of retiring this year? Yeah, we'll give you five million to come blast dudes on American Gladiators. Yeah, just run downhill. It would have been horrific, dude. I, Car crashes. Uh, yeah, I mean it's. Um... It, it's funny to watch it now and like see it and like realize like some of those hits and like some of the people I got to play with. Uh, I remember the first time I got to go play, uh, we were going to play Pittsburgh and I saw LeVon Kirkland who had 6'2", 300 pounds, was the biggest middle linebacker I've ever seen. So all of a sudden I come out and I got to hit him and that motherfucker like at the last minute saw me and fucking olayed me and I fell right down and I was thinking he's 300 pounds, he's going to put the fucking stick on me. And like he just started laughing. And he was like, Yeah, don't bring that shit to me, dude. And then the next time I kind of came out a little soft thinking he was gonna jack me, and he fucking stabbed me right in the face. And uh, I was like, Well played, old man. And then he ended up coming and uh, to Philly and signed, and we, we were great friends. And he still laughs at it. He's like, Oh, dude, I saw you get down the stance. I saw your arm bent and the fucking muscles. And it's like, Oh, this young dude's gonna come fucking try to get me. I'm gonna show him up. And then he's like, The second time I saw you kind of pussyfooting a little bit, and he's like, I fucked you up. Yeah. I was like, it was good, man. I, I do. I got a ton of respect for you. I, I still got his jersey, so I have a montage of some of the guys I played with that I loved, and he was one. And yeah. uh, but I mean, seeing those guys come downhill and having some dudes hit you, where you're like, God damn it, that's gonna fuck. My kids are gonna feel that one in ten years. Yeah. And um, I just don't think people have the ability to see it. But I mean, that was what was interesting on uh, with the CrossFit stuff. Well, I can't fucking shit on those guys because uh, one, they showed up. Yeah. which is more right. than I can say for most people. Uh, but I also was amazed by the community and the fact that these guys wanted to learn and they were willing to fucking have us fucking put them through this crucible. They just which, needed their eyes open. Like, well, exactly. Which is great because uh, a ton of them are still follow power athlete mm-hmm. and are indoctrinated yep. because it was their first, it was their eight mile moment. Like they showed up and they were like, I got fucking obliterated this thing and realized I needed more of this. Well, and, and that was it. That was my first exposure to coaching. And I'll say it. So a collegiate athlete, D3, I had lacrosse players that were my coaches, but not coaching. And the essence, and then got to work with Raf closely for a number of months, the, the pipe pledge, 
and the depth to it. Presence, in, intelligence quotient, professionalism, and emotional quotient. Yep. And then the, the level of that applies as an athlete and then a coach. So there's depth to that. And that was my first exposure to like, oh, there's a, there's a levels to this game of coaching. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's huge. And I think just opening their eyes to that, I think it, um, our field is, is inundated with people who just love to work out. That's literally, okay, I love to work out. I love I to train. Trainer. I should be a trainer. I should be a strength and coach. But th- there's a big difference between, with, between being an athlete who loves to grind versus your ability to communicate, your ability to, to be technical, your ability to, and, and I will say the ability to balance that. Like, that's great that you can grind. Can I communicate with my athletes to grind? But then there's times... How many hard chargers that you work with? It's like, hey, I got to pull the reins back. That's right. the the majority of high high level guys. It ain't about you know, hey, let's go, let's go. We're running gassers every day. It's hey, you know, I need to back you off. Um, you know, instead of ten reps, let's do five really good ones and do better technique. And and that's the big difference of your your ability to spot that. And then, do you have the skill to be able to pull that off? Ralph, can you get into a little bit of this? Um, you know, this is something I I, I try to. I probably push to people, but I do a really shitty job of explaining it. But the idea of like the the limiting factor for speed is always going to be the replication of speed. And sometimes we get into this idea of more is better. But unfortunately, you know, if you run poorly or you, you know, it's not silky smooth or, you know, whatever it looks like. I just got a question about this the other day. Like this guy was like, how do I run fast? Uh, he sent us some videos and it was all over the place. It was just really ugly. And my thing is like, you need to rest more. Like I need you to be able to do it one time well like if you can't show me one perfect rep how are we going to build upon that absolutely and then the problem too is like you know they're adding intensity and i'm like you know that was where you know charlie francis and the tempo runs and i know we used to do a ton of that stuff but like you know that uh persistent pursuit of perfection you know good technique big arm swing toe up knee up and all the stuff that we did and like once those were established we could start adding more intensity in the replication and then you get to a point where it's like a boil 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 ah, report break now it's back it down and it becomes this kind of like we were talking on social media where it's like everybody just wants to see everybody struggling and going hard. When I see it, a little bit of my soul breaks because I know that there's this like the enemy of perfection is going to be like, I just was fucking going hard. And we used to see it all the time in the middle of the, in the workouts where all of a sudden people are doing a, a fucking abortion type movements where you're like, dude, stop to the point where I'm going to tackle these people and be like, dude, stop doing this. I'm just going hard. And I'm like, yeah, but that is not an excuse for fucking replicating shit. But that was the difference between us doing a quote-unquote traditional strength finishing program on the CrossFit platform because the CrossFit platform is built off of go, go, go. Start the clock and then let me know when I'm done versus what we were teaching was, hey, let me see one amazing acceleration. Okay, there's still time. Let's go ahead and line up and do it again versus crappy, 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 crappy. I need to do five and that that was the big difference and exactly what you said was it, it's counterintuitive when you watch somebody just absolutely grind that is literally the opposite of what you want to do when you're talking about the the fine motor coordination of running really really fast and so the two things that we look at is your setup we always talk about okay what is going to put you in the most successful position to squat this or lunge this or bench this and it's literally relies on your setup well, nobody ever looks at that as, as I'm running, it's the same skill. Is my toe off and the, 
the pathway of that foot going to set up my very, very powerful pushing the ground down and back. And if it's not, then it doesn't matter how many reps of that you do. The bottom line is you're just setting yourself up for failure. So it's either going to teeter to positive or negative. And I mean, people will forget that high level sprinters will take five, 10 minutes between a set. And, and that's unfathomable for the average strength and conditioning coach. I couldn't imagine if, if, if I was new to the game, I was like, okay, Derek, we're going to run a, a 30 meter fly. And then you get done, you know, okay, what's next? All right, well, just in about 10 minutes, I'll call yeah, you back up. It's needs you to keep walking and moving. But, uh, and then the other one came down and we saw this too. Um, when the off season would start, you know, like obviously they would like, there was a GPP phase and we do a bunch of conditioning and whatnot. And I, I didn't realize until later on that like we were building all of that low level capacity so that the ability to recover in between these max effort deal where it's like you know you ran fast it might take you five to seven minutes to recover now all of a sudden we can cut it to three because uh you know i built a larger aerobic base on which to build and so whenever people are like hey how come you put so much aerobic base i'm like because i'm looking for you to reduce the amount of time you have to rest before you give me perfection in the replication right and like that's like i, I had a guy the other day was like you know i don't understand why you do these easy effort runs and I'm like, well, they're like, you know, 50, 60, like they shouldn't be stressful in this. It's just low level conditioning stuff and it's working technique and getting you to move and this. And I'm like, it's all working towards this eventual piece. And it's like, well, wouldn't it be easier if we just ran hard all the time? And I'm like, no, it doesn't work like that. Like, and then you have to balance like a strength conditioning program with a run program and a distance. And you're trying to figure out like economy of time, which I learned from Roth, this economy of movement, like how do I put in just enough to get them better, but not so much that they can't recover the next day or they're there for four, four hours. Right. Which there's not that many people that are like, fuck, I have a lot of a wife, I have a kid, I have all this other shit. I don't have time to cut four hours into my training. And I'm like, all right, so what do you want? And this is the, the bigger issue we run into and why I'm stoked to have you, you know, record and, and put all this stuff is like letting see people what replication of speed looks like and how you start fighting for perfection and realizing that the the fastest dudes in the world aren't just fucking flailing right like i mean like like my favorite and i, I do love watching the sprints but i really love the hurdles mm -hmm. just from the fact that like and it's just like it's just like shooting like it's like it's perfect because they've done it so much and then once you watch them hit one and it messes it up and then they can't get back in the stride because they've done this so many times they know exactly what it looks like and it's because there's no way to do it without perfect without replication perfection opportunity you know longevity this i mean there's a million different pieces for this right it's like so with trevor for example in the 400 meter hurdles i will never speak to his track workouts it's not my world i'm not an expert in it i don't have a strong base in it um but i do a strength and conditioning so i get information from that side that i can look at and try to help and balance with but he made an interesting comment and it was more just like a uh in relationship to his actual training this year going into worlds and he's training with high level college athletes and he just finished college and he was talking about the fact that it was a lot like a world-class fighter that had a lot of multiple sparring partners because his work capacity had gotten so high over the course of the season that his ability to do high quality repeated efforts took multiple training partners and, and it's interesting for people because I don't think they realize the difference between someone that's third in the world, you know, as he was this year and 
NCAA All-American even, yeah. that he had multiple NCAA All-American potential that would come in and one would do the first half of practice and then he would have another guy that would run the second half of his practice because his capacity is so big at that level that he needed multiple partners to be able to train with because the first guy literally was laying under a bench. He, he ran, him, ran him to death. Which, which the only way you get to is with uh, age. I mean, like, uh, like there's no way, I mean, especially nope. for like, you know, you see those track runners, especially the women, like it's not like for like the five and the 10,000 meters. I mean, it's some of the, like, like the sprinters and like even like the 400 hurdlers, like they don't hit their peak until they're like in their late 20s, early 30s. And some of those women are even older than that. It's just because there's no way to be able to quantify the amount of volume and capacity you need to be successful. Joe Kovacs, lifetime PR in his 30s. Tenth year, if I read correctly yesterday when I saw the article. Yeah. It's his 10th year of world-class throwing. He finally has his best performance. And he'll continue to improve, I'm sure. But it's like, when you think of that, it's like, oh, man, it's taken him a long time Mm -hmm. to acquire the volume of reps to be able to squat 900 pounds for reps and to throw 23 meters. It's He's had to, like, accumulate exposure, and it's taken a decade, you know? Um, You could make the argument that in the 80s and 90s and a in a, a less stringent uh, world of performance enhancement that it would have been faster because that's all it is is a, an accelerator of time it's not doesn't make you a better thrower it just you know shortens the time frame but in a heavily drug tested world that's what you're seeing if you do it correctly and these guys uh, follow the process get ready it's going to be a while like you'll you may be good for a long time but you may not be great for a while and that's something that I, I think a lot of people don't realize too. It, your world-class years, they were probably, it's like that meme where it shows the miner that is turning around and going back the other way and the other guy is like an inch away from diamonds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what a drug-tested athletic world is if it's done correctly. Is It's like, listen, it's coming, but you may have to spend more time getting there than they used to. Well, look at bodybuilding, and not that that's anything. I mean, like, uh, like I'm not going to use the word athletic in terms of bodybuilding, but you notice, like, the guys that um, just, we got a chance to go to the Olympia and the Arnold, and, and I think it's super fascinating. One, yeah. like, what they do to their bodies, like the manipulation thing. Like, like I remember years ago, Rob said, if uh, if you need to make bigger, stronger athletes, you're going to have to know something a little bit about mm-hmm. bodybuilding. It's weird and it's all that, but they have figured out how to put on a ton of mass, mass and muscle on. So, like, if you want to make bigger athletes, not just fat athletes, you want to make jacked athletes, you got to know something about bodybuilding. So, I've always been just uh, like uh, not a fan, but like I always watch it, and it's pretty universal. Like, if, whether it be from Dorian Yates to Big Ramy and these guys, it takes them until they're in their late twenties, early thirties. To be able to, uh, you know, the volume, the maturity, all the other stuff to be able to get to that point. And then there's like, they have a window and then they have to stop or they just fucking die. Yeah, which right? we're now seeing. Well, the, but but all, all, all the young, all, all the, uh, the dudes that are dying are the young guys yeah. that are trying to cheat the process and maybe doing too much or like who knows what I, I, I don't know what the fuck's going on yeah but if you that's look a at dark like, hole I don't want to go down. yeah if you look at Yates and you look at all these dudes they're all like 
early 30s they've all like had this like 10 years of just in the fucking grind yeah. uh to be able to develop this like thick crazy you know the, the muscle you see and then like the younger dudes were all pretty big like when we were there like they just looks different like there's a yeah. maturity in that muscle and then they get to a point where you're like oh here's my fucking window and if i don't stop i'll probably die in a year and then they all fucking quit yeah and uh like i think um um what's the guy uh the dennis wolf the big bad yeah uh, he was a fucking monster and you see him now he's like 180. yep and, dorian uh, yates and dorian yates i mean yeah. Dor- dorian like retired quit cold turkey which he said was a terrible fucking deal yeah. but uh you know i mean he's like i did what i came to do and the only thing in front of me was a fucking life of death because yeah. there's no way to 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 maintain that well when you look at it from a say a, a something as simple as running it takes a long time to number one coordinate just the coordination you know people talk about it's just running no it's not just running there's a lot that goes into sorry running at a high level it is just running but if you're going to run at human the top of human performance there is a very very distinct science to it and it takes a long time a lot of hours just to be able to coordinate at hyper high velocities and then the other aspect that people don't forget is that natural coordination changes from muscles to tendons where all of a sudden the tendons are now literally becoming the mind of that movement where it's just you know they're not thinking and so you have an athlete like that who is going through multiple training partners because you've spent enough time developing number one speed reserve Mm -hmm. like people forget okay i'm going to be fast but there's guys who are fast and they're running three-quarter speed where all of us are like okay i'm gonna make my time i'm gonna make my time this guy's just cruising because that aspect is he's not even using any energy his muscles aren't even doing anything it's just all rubber band rubber band rubber band rubber band and he's just moving through there and it takes a long time to be able to get to that point yeah 45 seconds i think he ran at indoor worlds in the 400 open right so your training partners in the hurdles I know. So oh. the hurdles, he's 48 or oh, 47. 47. He's now 47. Uh, he broke the 48 second uh, barrier at Worlds in the final. Good for him. Yeah, right. And uh, so the U.S. is strong right now in the hurdles, which yeah. is amazing. Um, but yeah, he ran 45 open indoors. So if you got like what we think of as really fast kids running 50 seconds in the 400 open, like, yeah. and this guy's five seconds faster. You know, it's... Um, I mean, look at Sydney McLaughlin. This, <sighs> Unbelievable. Like, she's dropped two seconds. Two seconds. Two seconds. Which, in, which in, is in, unheard of. Yeah. In, in, it's not like it's a new event. It's not well, like, hey, let's try uh, running 400 if, meters. If I could have one bone to pick, is uh, one, for some reason, America fucking hates track and field, and unless it's at the Olympics, whereas mm-hmm. we were in... Um, was Madrid. It? We were in Madrid. And uh, left a seminar, went back to the hotel, and they had the uh, um, the European the Diamond Leagues. Yeah, uh, no, it was the European Track uh, Championships. Championships on. Yeah, and uh, we didn't go out; we just sat there and watched it. Isn't it amazing? It, to it, it was see it on TV. Like, it, it was fucking great. Like I, I would uh, anytime track is on. Like I mean, I yeah. like watching the throws. I love I love watching the hammer as it's flying and then the people out there who are like judging yeah. trying not to get killed yeah. so they're back but yet they're kind of moving and they don't know where it's going to come from the ball or the handle yeah. The yeah. Yeah. oh yeah and then like the the track stuff in this and like it, but yet you know yeah. for some reason they won't put it on tv and um uh, but to me i mean fuck, i would much rather sit down and i know rob's become a, a baseball dad i would much rather sit down with my kids and watch track than watch baseball right 
Yeah, no, I get it. Um, obviously, as being a track guy, it's uh, it, it's been a bit of a bone to pick. But, you know, you go back to the early days of Nike's influence and the reason why track isn't, well, track sometimes is on TV, but field is not, is due to the repetitious. <clears throat> they, it was all based on the camera angle of the shoe and the fact that it would give you this subconscious repetition of the Nike swoosh moving. So they would just, and if you still watch track now in the U.S., not in Europe so much, but in the U.S., they always have that one weird angle where they show like kind of waist down for like four or five seconds at a pop. Yeah. And what that is, is it's all based on the fact that Nike bought track and field. At some point, Nike bought Well, they always have a camera on the thrower's crotch, which is like, I, right? I, I, like, I don't know why that's so weird that they always are like shooting From the up ground up. at the ground up. And I'm like, I, like, I like watching the footwork. Yeah. But if anything, mm-hmm. I would rather watch from the top down so I could see the rotation of the head and then see the feet move. Like I, I like it, it, like the angles, but yet in Europe, when we were sitting there watching it, like they had amazing. And uh, I, part of me probably goes back to the fact that I love watching pretty girls run fast. And like, like some of these girls are just absolutely like phenomenal looking and just moving. Incredibly. The Netherlands. Netherlands. Oh, yeah. Dude. And they're just savages. They are yeah. Valkyrie savages yeah. that will burn your face And off. we're like, we'll take them all. And, uh, yeah. But just like uh, big, strong girls moving well yeah. through space. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. Fucking so I but it's crazy it. that they don't do better. Like when we, forgive the pun, dove in deep with swimming. Yeah. Like. Who wants to watch swimming above the water? I know. Like when they go underneath and you're like, that is fascinating. Where like, all the technique is yes, happening. But yeah. above, you're just watching a bunch of splashing and you're like, okay, here's a line. Maybe that's somebody I'm supposed to cheer for. Yeah. You know, they got these caps on. You can't really make out whose cap is what. Like, like, yeah, what flag is next to them? Yeah. Like digitally. Underwater. Like how magnificent is pole vault? Yeah. Right? Amazing. Uh, the... Probably the greatest form of athleticism in terms of display in the sport. All right, I'm going to sprint as fast as I can with this long, flexible stick, the the fucking uh, precision to put it into a slot, and then I'm going to lean back and then trust that this piece of fiberglass is going to catapult me over, and then I have to work my body through space to not fucking hit this thing and then not die when I land or get impaled by the stick. So, funny story. It's fucking unbelievable. Go back pre-social media internet, Sergey Bukka, Bukka, right? Phenomenal. Phenomenal athlete. Uh, one of my buddies, uh, his coach was in Europe when Bupka was training one time. And, you know, so there's no official record of this. But they were watching him run laps, well, 100-meter sprints with his pole. And he was just, like, in position, pole vault technique, right? So not, like, great sprinting mechanics in the upper body, obviously. But just running 100 and then decelerate and put the pole down at the end of 100 meters, roughly. Right, and he was, it was like a conditioning workout. So the coach was like, wow, I've never seen that before. Took out his stopwatch and just, there was no gun or anything, so he just watched him. And as soon as he started moving, pop, hit the his stopwatch. And as the guy just kind of, as Boof got the guy, as he kind of gets to 100, just stopped it. He was doing 11-2. Jesus. At roughly 100 meters, with holding no a arm pole. Swing. With no arm swing, running with a pole. And it's like, oh, so that's what a world record holder does. Right, and no one will ever hear that or see it. It was just some random practice that'll go unspoken because it's like um, the former uh, high jump uh, world record holder from Cuba. I can't remember his Sotomayor. name. Sotomayor. Yes, um, there was a video that circulated for a while, and he was doing three hundred yard single leg bounds on the sand, just <laughs> boom, boom, boom. 
300 yard repeats single leg <laughs> yeah on a beach somewhere in cuba someone filmed it and it made it out i want to take this time raf can we get into the purpose of the arm swing because the arm swing and coaching it up was something very valuable learned from the old seminar and then the the nuances of it and the importance you've spoken on that before can we highlight the importance of the arm swing and coaching it up and the opportunity presented there well what's interesting is the context is if your strength finishing program is dialed in i've found that i don't have to coach the arm swing because the arm swing is a product of posture most people that we find that have bad arm swing there's nothing that i'm going to do at that moment at that run at anything that's going to change that they may make some adjustment to it but the moment that they stop being cognizant of it it's just going to go right back but what i found is if i can get somebody open up their chest if i can get them to retract if i can get them to depress their shoulder blades chronically over time then their arm swing will naturally start to level out Um, so with that being said that is my test retest so as i watch somebody we make a note wow they have terrible arm swing let's see what that looks like in six weeks let's see what that looks like in another six weeks for us, the purpose is, is multiple things. It's number one, it's gonna drive leg action. It's gonna control the rhythm and the tempo of what's happening with the legs. So if you want the legs to do what you're supposed to do, then you gotta control it with the arms. If you want the arms to do what you want it to do, you've gotta control it through the posture. So it's always this nice, easy, smooth down waterfall down uh, downstream. Um, but a lot of people forget the, the amount of force that's occurring in the back end through your butt and your hamstrings has to be balanced with the opposite arm and a lot of people if you're not dialed in with what's happening here the amount of power that's being produced will get athletes who look squirrely they'll either start to sidewinder or they start to spin excessively because yep you'll get really really powerful action and the only way to counterbalance that action is with good arm swing so controlling the tempo with how tight or how broad we bring this versus if we bring this back quick, we'll get a faster rate or we'll get a longer stride. And, and you know, the more that somebody gets into running and learning how to run, we can manipulate that. But I've always found within the first six steps, if the 99% of athletes, if we fix that first six steps, they're going to be successful in most arenas. Um, and that 1% is high level track. Yeah, and that's part of the, the components that you're teaching this weekend is that acceleration phase. Absolutely. We, we find that, like I said, 99% will, will get the most benefit within those first seven steps, those first five to seven steps. Anything outside of that, what we've always found, like there was a recent, um, I don't know if you guys follow um, Dr. Matt Ree over, he was at Alabama. He was the sports scientist, the head strength coach at Alabama. Now he's... I believe with the New Orleans Saints, but he put out this tweet that just blew up the strength finishing world. And he said, um, from our research, our football players are better served playing soccer in the off season than they are running track. And he like, people went nuts. Obviously all the track people went nuts. And his his thing was change of direction, the the metabolic demands of moving in space and, and changing directions and not hitting top speed ever in a football game for the majority of players um, gave him gave him that thought of, of doing that and so it's just a really interesting thing where 
teaching somebody to be able to accelerate, decelerate within that, that five yard, 10 yard box is going to benefit the majority of people. Yeah. And I, I've seen that with lacrosse. Lacrosse is making better football players because rather than seeking the contact and trying to, to punish, you're now being more evasive and your eyes are up. So getting away from people and solving problems or even getting around blockers. Yeah. So that, there's a big battle on aiming to fight by educating the athletes of how to communicate to football coaches if there is value in playing because football coaches see this sport that's not football. Oh, you're going to get hurt during that. No, no, no. This is going to make you more athletic, which then will help you become a better football player, which then helps the football coaches. Or you, you take your offensive lineman and you have bucks. You know, yeah. I, I, learned how to, I learned how to pass it and uh, more importantly, pick up angles, cutting guys off in the ring in terms of like jumping rope and moving through space and how to cut a guy off first meaningful touch playing two thirds inside out. I mean, all of this fucking angles and the pieces of terms of boxing, being able to measure distance and being able to do that. I mean, I learned all that in the ring. I mean, it's truly everything. Everything works like that's really the we talk about what makes a good quality coach is everybody in, in this. So alongside that, Dr. Ree. Um, tweet I mean you took everybody who followed him was either for or against and they weren't just hey that's a good that's a good tweet it was hey that's an awesome tweet or it was you're worthless I can't believe I follow you um, you know burn you in hell yeah it was just like a, a, the a drama. unbelievable um, black and white between the two and, and, and I'm a firm believer everything works you just have to figure out how to use it so in track and field, get them in track and field. And the reason why you do track and field is because it builds your reserve. It builds your top end speed. So that when they are playing soccer, they are playing lacrosse. Now all of a sudden 90% of this is, is still pretty good. And so do I think you should walk away from track? Absolutely not. Everybody should learn how to top end speed better. But there is something to playing lacrosse. There's something to playing soccer. There's something to boxing. Like, Figure it all out. The problem we run into in social media is if one is good, 10 is better. So now all of a sudden we'll have, you know, Derek's going to be like, oh, boxing is good. So now he's just going to go be a professional boxer and he's going to forget that the number one thing is he has to display throwing skill. And it's like, okay, don't forget that aspect. Like we, we still have to be able to throw a baseball. We still have to be able to kick a football, whatever the case may be. So it always has to have that emulsifying factor not just in the athlete, but the coaches and everybody surrounding him is come back to that. What? How does this, and is the juice worth the squeeze, and how much juice do we put into you displaying your skill? Yeah. Derek, did you ever bring throwing into the NFL weight room when you were there? No, because I didn't have enough authority in the ah, program. And he probably just thought he was a weird Canadian. Yeah, that's exactly it. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. No, sorry. They, yeah, they were probably like, who's this Canadian? What's he all about? So, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is how disconnected from football I was when I got to the NFL, right? Because, it, yeah, no working knowledge of a lot of it outside of human performance. So, you know those three-wheel tackle dummies mm -hmm. that, you know, to move them, you have to push them up on one wheel, and then they can move really well. They weigh, I don't know, a couple hundred pounds. So, I'm like day three. I'm like wandering around in the field house at one end because we're going to do some running. And the head strength coach at the time was like, you know, yells my Who, Who's the head strength coach? Mislinski. Mislinski. Okay. He's like, hey, can you move the dummy off of the, uh, <laughs> off of the field house floor? I can't believe I haven't thought of this in forever. 
So I'm looking at it and I go to push it and it doesn't move. And I'm like, I don't know how to move this, right? Because if you just tip it up on its tire, it, it goes perfectly, right? Like, so I'm like, what do I do? And it's like a couple hundred pounds. So I'm like pushing it and it's not moving. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. And now I'm just getting super nervous and anxious because all these linemen are waiting to run. And I'm, I'm out here and I don't even know how to use their tools. So me being me at the time, I was about 280 pounds, quite strong. I'm like, ah, fuck it. So I just picked it up. <laughs> so I just bear hugged it and picked all the wheels off the like total uh, world's strongest man, the, the stone, and just like for 40 yards, like just waddled it. And I set it down and I'm like, all right, okay, that sucked, but that worked. And I turn and I look and it's just blank faces and like disbelief. Right. And they're like, what did you just do? And I'm like, listen, I don't know how to play your game very well, but I know how to move some stuff. Right. <laughs> Earn the respect. Earn the respect. Yeah. So strong uh, Canadian move on that part. Yeah. And I just I didn't. Uh, and it was funny because the one thing that like when I worked with Charles one on one coming off that Patel injury that he just couldn't come back from. That's the thing we talked a lot about was his limiting factor initially trying to get back is because of the severity of the infection he had in the patella ligament after it ruptured was he had to depend on contact to make it look like he could actually play so he had no deceleration ability his knee was a mess so he couldn't come out and do tests for the team or tests for the uh I guess the medical staff, unless he made physical contact with a, a tackle dummy or a person to hide the fact that he couldn't plant and decelerate his, his forward momentum. Mm. Um, and that ended up being something that he just couldn't get over at that in that time window. Yeah. And it wow. made me realize, oh, okay, I get it. So a limiting factor for the other side, for very healthy athletes that you know didn't have a disintegrating patella, um, was the fact that they had maybe become too reliant on the fact that they were using some sort of object to decelerate concentric dynamic movement. And they actually weren't able to ever fully develop it or display it because they weren't doing anything outside of running into a wall or hitting a tackle dummy or doing something where they're making contact and they were never getting full extension or training their body to be this maximized explosive creature and it's like oh they need to do standing broad jumps yeah i was they, gonna say broad jump or uh, yeah. or some form of plyometrics or bounding which we did a ton of yep we had a gymnastics mat and uh so rough and us fucking i wish we had video of us doing this fucking stupid tumbling and cartwheels and all the stupid shit we used to do uh like that was the ability to move in space and you know shin hops and all the other shit we program trying to get people to move without some form of external resistance like can you be violent and move through space yeah because especially in football the opposition is in the way their job isn't to stop you right so there has to come a point where you're training with the mindset of just blowing through something always blowing like they're in the way they're, they're not stopping me and most people they train to a stop and everything in the weight room we're seeing now chains bands full circle back to the start of our conversation people are training to like 99 percent of extension on everything they do now because they're getting these maximum loads at the very end of extension where they're not sure what or why they had accommodated resistance in the first place and it's like 
Well, it's to accommodate the joint angle through resistance. You're also, you're also changing the strength curve, which, I mean, originally right? I think the idea was that they were trying to change the strength curve to mimic the the, the gear they were using because you were strong. I mean, the, if you're a raw lifter, you're going to be weakest at the bottom of the bench or weakest in the squat. But in a geared lifter, you're actually going to be strongest at these endpoints because that's the elasticity in the, in the gear. So I think that the accommodating resistance was to change the strength curve. Yep. And then they found out that, Oh shit, by this accommodating resistance, we can actually teach compensatory acceleration. As mechanical advantage increases, so does speed, you know, what we know from Fred Hatfield. So it was a really good indicator for people, and now they've just made it kind of ridiculous. It, yeah, yeah, it's lost its way, right? Um, you know, things that were incredibly beneficial, and I remember I, I spoke at CSCCAs this year. And I was just talking in a very general 45-minute presentation, but I was... I should have known better, having never spoke at a national convention, that there was only football coaches in the crowd, right? So I was using examples from a holistic approach to human performance instead of a specific approach. And so we were talking about aspects of developing uh, you know, fiber relationships through time under tension or accelerated eccentric load and all these things. And I should have known better, but as the word weight releaser left my lips, you could see the football coaches in the crowd just turn and like have these debates, oh, never work, oh, you know? And immediately I'm like, oh yeah, because you're training a hundred guys. Yeah. So you would need all this equipment, it would yeah. be a pain. I get that, it's not my point. My point was, this is the benefit of this type of training in this scenario related to increasing load under eccentric and coming up dynamically. And, and so I was using it in context of something else, but it was amazing because what it did remind me is how narrow that funnel is getting. That yeah. I can't even have the conversation about a simple piece of equipment in the vast majority of these, of these industry world or spaces now because what ends up happening is it, it goes against what they already believe to be the most valuable way to do a thing. Now, the irony with that is I give my presentation and people forget that you can see everything up there, right? So you see these people disagreeing with everything you're saying and writing you off. And you're like, all right, cool. So I, I lost this guy, right? No big deal. Then a guy at the very back comes up and I can see him walking towards me. I'm like, wow, that guy's not getting smaller, right? Like he's just, <laughs> like he's just filling up my entire space. And, uh, and he's like, man, and he goes into specific detail about all this stuff. He goes, great presentation. I was like, oh, thanks. And then I'm like looking at him. And I'm like, I remember you. You squatted 880 at 7 a.m. at Sornex. Like, okay, so this guy gets it. This guy understands the holistic approach to human performance. It's not just, hey, give me like the color green to solve this problem that I need solved, right? And it's like, well, okay. So there is still those coaches out there and athletes that are like, I want to know everything. And not every bit of it will I use, not every bit of it will I discard, but just give me everything and let me sort through and actually become a student of the sport again, right? And that's the part that was interesting to watch from a body language perspective is to watch the crowd react information as if it was this emotional attack on their existence. And I'm just like, ah, you guys will have a very narrow success rate a very narrow success rate because you're unwilling to use the chokehold that will win the fight because there will be a day where maybe they oh i don't know head coach leaves and they lose their football gig 
right? And they have to either go into the private sector or they'll have to become an Olympic sports coach. And all of a sudden, all the stuff that they didn't want to acknowledge has a place again. And they'll be an average at best coach. Like I remember one time uh, recently we were doing a clinic on acceleration and it was a lot of football guys there and I immediately lost everybody when I told them that at most if you really want to teach good acceleration no more than 10% on your sled right I said there should be flight time there it should look smooth and pretty and it should look do effortless know, do you know why because uh, Joe DeFranco had his whole push heavy ass like load your sled with like a thousand pounds and try to get guys to push it for like one second and like oh i remember that. yeah we we were at that talk and i was like this is uh and he even said i don't know anything about physiology i don't know anything about sports science i just know when i've had those guys push heavy sleds they seem to sprint faster and everybody was like harumph, 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 harumph. And i'm like <laughs> i i was like you just fucking lost me i'm like uh like uh, yeah i'm sorry well the problem you run into is a lot of guys because they have that audience and they have that clientele list. Hey, this worked with Dion. Well, guess what? That's Dion. I could have done nothing. I could have done everything. I could have taken everything I know that's right and then did purposely did the opposite. Dion's still going to smoke everybody. Well, like, didn't you try to, like, Dion was really inflexible. So they were, I remember Raftel's story that they, they, like, were like, hey, we got Dion flexible, you know, one inch over the stride length over the course of 40 yards, two tenths, Dion's going to run a three nine forty, right? Right. And then what you do, you stretched him and he ran slower. And then they were like, don't stretch Dion. Just let him get fucking tight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it literally went from, okay, um, a performance variable versus a sustainability variable. Absolutely. Hey, you know, there's yeah. some issues that are going to come up down the road if we don't start to deal with this. Um, but the bottom line is you took, I took so much heat and it was literally, you could feel the oxygen leave the room when they were like, what, what do you mean? Now, what am I going to do with all my 45s? I'm like, well, you know what? Guess what? Start, we start with an empty sled and I want to see, I want to see some horizontal flight time, but it doesn't look cool on social media. Yeah. There's nothing really awesome about it um, until you can take a video and take talented guys who can go look at this video superimposed on what they're doing on the track. And now they're like, wow, that looks cool. That looks sexy. It, it's almost like there's pieces that are chiseled on like the uh, Mount Rushmore of strength conditioning, <laughs> yeah. where it's like if you tear down their gods or, or try to you know blow up the faces, it's just like people fight specifically for it. And, uh, you know, I mean, um, uh, Louis, God rest his soul, uh, was an amazing individual, Louis Simmons. Uh, we've, you know, always been... Um, I mean, had always been very, very uh, opening and like uh, open and just warm and just a wonderful person to me. Uh, that's not the response I've heard from most people, but I had a good relationship with him. Uh, there were a lot of things that Louis, um, you know, talked about in terms of his lifters that he kind of extrapolated here and used. And there's some amazing stuff. And there's a lot of shit that like, I don't know if it'll ever float. But the problem is, is because Louis has become you know, this, this iconic. iconic figure, anything that goes against, and these guys subscribe to these camps in here, and DeFranco, and Westside for Skinny Bastards, and this, and there becomes these institutions. And you're like, dude, uh, you know, if, like, uh, not everything works for everybody. Yeah. And not everything works at every, you know, the exact time for everybody. And that if you just follow the path, and like, 
do the same and subscribe to the dogma, you're going to just get average results that like you have to think outside the box and things that I, I mean, there, there's shit that I bought into 10 years ago. I don't buy in today and there's changes like some guy posted some old cross of football programming on you uh, on Reddit and like I got somebody tagged me or sent it to me and I went in there and was like, uh, I even I, I said on there, I was like, hey, man, uh, that's really old, and I'm kind of embarrassed. Like, if you want to do it, or you can come follow this shit, which is way better. But it, it's good to own that stuff. I coached mm-hmm. a national champion powerlifter from Canada who, at 225 pounds, squatted 880. I had him doing sets of eight with 550 in the Zercher squat, right? Because he could do it. I hate the Zercher squat. Uh, dude, uh, Zercher squatting I don't know and, dead, and uh, uh, hook gripping deadlifts dude, are like my fucking kryptonite. But, you know, you go back 20 years when I wrote this program, that's the level of understanding I had. And we were successful with it, but man, I, I, I almost feel like I should send him like a gift basket and a story. <laughs> right? like, yeah. you know, because I would but never... But did he want to do it? He would have ran through a wall of brick to be a national champion. Because yeah. what I found out, yeah. sometimes... In, in my softer years that, that I am now. Oh, yeah. Now. I was going to say now your yeah. softer years. Because this is the kind and gentle rock. Yeah. Back in the day, it was like crack a whip and it's my way or the highway. But yeah. but now it's like, okay, you know what? Derek likes to curl. I'm like, ah, really? We, we got a lot on this workout card. Really don't have time to curl. You know what? Yeah. Let's go curl. And, and, and you learn to, to ebb and flow. So I, that's why I ask, like, maybe yeah. he'd like to do that. And, and if he does, that's the bone you throw. Right. I, like, I, I wish it dude, was. I remember, <laughs> I remember doing heavy Zercher squats, and all it felt like was my biceps were going to fucking rip out of my uh, AC. Like, like I, like I was going to get a bicep fucking tear. Well, and and Zerchers like, are making a reemergence well, on, the, on the gram. Yeah. And it's like, well, now they have, like, a bar that's, like, our, like they, they have a specific Zercher bar that they've made. I think it's a fat bar, smooth in this. I mean, we were digging that like fucking yeah. Olympic bar in the pit of your arms and I'm sitting there flexing and thinking I can feel my biceps fucking ripping this is a bad <laughs> fucking movement for me and you then know, there's other people that are like no problem I'm like no I'm gonna tear my biceps I think he's from Australia he has an interesting Instagram I can't remember his name it's always him from the back my brother follows him and the, the guy is a monster but he power cleans 405 flips it into a zercher once he's got it up and then just walks with it, right? So that's why people are doing stuff like this again. The part of that equation that no one probably goes down to figure out is who are we dealing with, right? So I was like, this is impressive. I need to find out who this is. The guy's 6'11", 400 pounds. It's all relative. He's a giant doing giant things, yeah. right? So you take that guy and put him on the gram, eh, right? All of a sudden, everyone's like, I got to start Zercher squatting four plates. Really? How about you don't Zercher squat at all? Because the last time I checked, the elbow joint isn't for squatting, right? Uh, no. I Be- before yeah. we get down that rabbit hole, I encourage you guys, like, when you're giving those talks and you see the negative, there are still people that are listening that are ready to hear it. Right. When the student is ready, the master appears, going back to uh, December 2009, CrossFit Football 5th ever seminar. But, and that's, I, I think I used that line. When the student's ready, the master appears. Which Probably. I, I pretty much stole I from think uh, you Kung wrote Fu it. Th- no, I stole it from Kung Fu Theater. But <laughs> the way y'all think, that's why we're bringing you in here to teach because the students are ready to learn from you. Right. And the reason that we've been working and leading to both do a lecture, formal presentation, and pair it with a practical. 
and try to capture all these different learning styles that exist that we're know of, uh, aware of and then put it into a package where people can, most importantly, apply the information. Right. So familiar with the conferences and the seminar game, it's what you can then apply and give to your athletes that then you truly start to, to learn and then go and, and seek more information about it. So as we're winding down our conversation here, which I hate to do, yeah. it's going to lead to an amazing weekend that our listeners can only learn more about through academy.powerathletehq.com. Very true. Um, well, dude, uh, I think it's getting pretty hot in here. It's almost one o'clock, so we got to go up and uh, deal with some block ones. But uh, thanks for uh, sitting here on Power Athlete Radio. I'm sure we could sit here for hours, but we're going to cut it short, and uh, we'll see you on the flip. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. See Bye. You.